Welcome to Making Therapy Better, the podcast that brings together some of the top minds in psychotherapy as well as everyday clinicians to talk about where the field is headed and how we can achieve better mental health care for everyone. Making Therapy Better is hosted by Professor Bruce Wampold, who has dedicated his career to understanding how therapy works and advocating evidence-based methods for improving outcomes. His guests today are Barrett Griffith, Maureen Hart, and Jeff Gray. Barrett Griffith is CEO of CarePaths, where he has served for over five years, previously as a developer and then as CTO. He has two decades of experience in the tech industry, including healthcare IT. Maureen Hart, PhD, and Jeff Gray, PhD, are both psychologists with years of clinical and managerial experience who saw the potential for technology to improve the quality of mental health care. Together, they started CarePaths over 20 years ago as an electronic health record system, which now includes practice management and outcomes measurement tools. In 2022, they teamed up with Professor Wampold to launch Making Therapy Better, an educational initiative including a blog, webinar, and this podcast, coinciding with the release of Automated Measurement-Based Care by Bruce Wampold, Ph.D. Their hope is to improve mental health outcomes by providing therapists with reliable information on the benefits and practice of MBC, as well as effective and affordable tools for implementing it. As always, you can visit carepaths.com to start a free 30-day trial. And now, without further ado... Episode 12 of Making Therapy Better, Technology and Mental Health Care, with Barrett Griffith, Maureen Hart, and Jeff Gray. Well, welcome to the final podcast of season one. We thought it would be a great idea to uh, have a discussion with the principals of CarePass, who sponsored uh, this series of podcasts. For me personally, it's been a great opportunity to uh, talk to leaders in the field, have a conversation about uh, pressing issues and to hear what they had to say about the research in psychotherapy and the practice of psychotherapy. So I have worked with CarePass, who sponsored this uh, series of podcasts for several years or several times over the years. Um, and what I've been struck with is the uh, dedication to improving the quality of care. I like to say, you know, I'll only work with um, different private entities if they meet three criteria. One is they're addressing a need in the field. Two, uh, they're based on what we know about psychotherapy, the science of psychotherapy. And three, they collect data to actually uh, verify that what they're doing works. So CarePass in the broad stroke is a comprehensive mental health electronic health record company. I'm gonna let Maureen and Jeff describe more fully what that is. So today I'm gonna introduce um, uh, the founders and uh, management of CarePass. And then after these introductions, we'll talk just a, a bit about what we learned from the podcast. There were certain themes that came out that I think are worth discussing. So let's get started um, uh, with Maureen uh, Hart and Jeff Gray, who are the founders of CarePass. If you would tell a little bit about uh, how you got into the field and more particularly how you were motivated to start CarePass and a little bit about the company to get us going. So I'll turn it over to you. Okay, let me, let me say a few things. Um, Maureen and I uh, are Older psychologists, we came up in the in the age of managed care, and uh, both of us worked for managed care companies uh, in the in the eighties. And out of that experience, uh, uh, we realized that uh, managed care was failing patients. Uh, that there was something fundamentally wrong with managed care, and it had to do with the fact that it was entirely profit driven. Uh, I was a, 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 a manager of a large a managed care entity for a while. And the only thing I was, uh, the only bonus I would get was for profit, was for lowering, lowering utilization. 
And uh, what I was concerned about was uh, making fair allocations of care, uh, determining whether care was working, uh, whether uh, people were receiving good value. And so I got into the outcomes business and uh, I met Maureen along the way. And uh, I, we, I got into that after the, the, the managed care business because I figured that outcomes would, would really solve the problem. Well, you know, after about seven or eight years uh, uh, with no customers, I figured out that wasn't going to work. And um, then we got into uh, the EHR business. And so in 2000, when the uh, Internet uh, revolution was starting, we uh, uh, we uh, started a uh, EHR company, uh, Internet-based. All right. Well, uh I also had been in managed care and stayed a little longer than Jeff did. And um, I think I, I had a more um, nuanced impression of it. I thought it, it brought some real benefits to the field for a while. Uh, prior to my getting involved in managed care, I had been watching the for-profit uh, inpatient facilities kind of boom. And uh, I thought that that was doing more harm than good uh, because I was working especially with adolescents at that time. And it seemed to me every adolescent I saw who had been in an inpatient setting had learned something about how to be a better psychiatric patient and things like cutting and uh, cutting themselves and other things like that. Um, but I, I think the managed care model is fundamentally flawed, uh, as Jeff said. Um, while I was still on the managed care side, actually kind of working for an insurance company, I helped set up a, uh, a behavioral health um, system uh, for a hospital that wanted to manage their own psychiatric care for their employees. And one of I was one of Jeff's first customers with the outcomes product. And only customer. But after that, I ended up uh, moving further along uh, and um, joining Jeff in the outcomes business and then moving on into the uh, electronic health record um, I became a programmer for about 10 years, uh, among other things. Uh, when you have your own company and it's a small company, you kind of get to learn how to do everything. Great. Uh, so you're really inspired, uh, again, to pick up on this theme of trying to uh, improve the quality of care. I mean, the project we're working on together making therapy better is really dedicated to this uh, idea. I mean, the idea is that you have a network of um, clinicians who use your system and we want to uh, develop processes that are gonna actually improve outcomes. So exciting. So, uh, why don't you guys introduce Barrett, and then we'll get all three of you involved here. Uh, well, Barrett. Well, Barrett uh, is a is a CEO. He is a, uh, a an IT guy by uh, by trade. Graduated from Northwestern, and he's been with us for I think five years. Five years. Five years now, and. Uh, he has uh, immersed himself in the in the behavioral health care business and uh, uh, is really an advocate for it. And uh, uh, he, uh, he's done a great job. We'll let Barrett speak for himself. Well, thank you. Uh, the more that I work with therapists and, and learn about what drives them and makes them good therapists, I realized, you know, we kind of share a few common traits. Uh, it's the curiosity, it's the sense of uh, holding us high standards of ethics, being able to listen and hear uh, problems and hear the problems our customers are having, 
being able to solve problems for customers similar to the way that therapists are ready to solve problems for their clients and to really, you know, enable and help them transform their business and empower, uh, empower clients. So those are some of the things that have, I feel like I have in common with therapists and can advocate for them in, in this field. Um, and I also wanted to, you know, thank you, Bruce and Jeff and Maureen, um, you know, the work that you have contributed in your careers to the field is extraordinary. Um, Bruce and Jeff and Marina, I feel that you really bring the original, uh, digital innovators to mental health, the original pioneers of, of digital mental health. Um, you were in the, the space, you know, decades before, um, what we're, what we're seeing happening today. So I really want to thank you for your dedication, uh, to quality. Um, also I want to thank all of the, the guests that we've had on the podcast the, and the viewers, the listeners, uh, for the comments and the opinions that that um, have been added to the to the discussions, um, and for the producer of the podcast uh, and editor Dennis Hart. Um, for me, making therapy better has been about collaboration. Um, it's bringing these ideas and opinions that have helped me as someone who's who's not. Uh, doesn't have a strong clinical background or experience, get a sense of the challenges involved in, in delivering behavioral health services. And what I learned is that every case is different. Every mental health professional is unique, that there's really no single method or tool that is going to work in every case. So we have to collaborate and we have to, uh, we have to work together. So um, the guests that have been able to individually share their stories and speak to the importance of, of how they've been able to collaborate over the years. Uh, really, I feel is a common theme that that they use as they are looking to, to address their, their client's needs. Um, I feel like we also get a sense during this, this podcast series to get a historical sense of what's happened in the field and understand why things are the way they are today, why things you know, what happened during the managed care period, understand as well, you know, what we're able to do and change uh, in the future. And overall, just it, it's been a chance to have some fun um, to learn what leaders in the field are thinking about when they're not thinking about their patients or <laughs> in our case, uh, their EHRs. Um, and to really, uh, hopefully provide a good experience to, to the listeners um, to provide some interesting perspectives that can help us, you know, has def definitely for me been very transformative in my uh, professional professional journey and in, into mental health. Uh, so I wanted to thank you. Thanks, Barrett. Uh, I think the, the um, combination of kind of the mental health uh, perspective along with the technical perspective is really important because we've seen various enterprises that um, really don't succeed in improving quality of care because they're so enamored with the technology or so enamored with uh, the bottom line, trying to uh, uh, have a business enterprise rather than one that actually delivers quality services. So this is exciting. So let's, uh, oh, I, I did want to mention, you said curiosity, and we think back to uh, the interview with Bill Miller and Terry Moyers, and that's one of the key characteristics of effective therapists that they talk about is curiosity, a genuine curiosity and discovering uh, 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 what the situation is, and to really understand it at a deep level. And I get that sense from you, Barrett. So this is uh, really right in line with what we've talked about. So let's summarize what we've learned from the podcast or what some of the issues are. And I wrote down some of the themes. One issue, uh, and which is central to what we're doing, is this idea of measurement-based care. Uh, um, it was central to Scott Miller, uh, Jamie Delgadillo, and Michael Barkham, uh, Robbie Babman's 
Wagner at the Calgary Counseling Center, as well as almost all of the other guests, talked about the importance of actually understanding um, patient progress by measuring uh, various aspects of the therapy endeavor. So um, I'll just talk for a minute about what I what I learned here. You know, measurement-based care is the first initiative we took in making therapy better uh, project. And you know, what was clear for me in these discussions is that we should be doing a comprehensive measurement, uh, not only symptoms. You know, many of the systems focus almost exclusively on symptoms, but also uh, other psychological aspects of functioning. Well-being, for instance, we know loneliness is absolutely critical to uh, mental health, but also physical health. And then, of course, the process of psychotherapy. Um, and that was mentioned uh, by several of the guests. So uh, comments about what you took away from the discussions of measurement-based care? Other than, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Well, I thought it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating discussion. Um, uh, one thing we didn't talk about is the fact that it's not done. Uh, you know, it's a great idea. I mean, the data supports it. Uh, it cuts down on uh, on uh, no shows and 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 patients at risk for bad outcome and. And I suspect, Bruce, that with your algorithm and your system, that uh, the benefits of measurement-based care are much greater than what's uh, been uh, achieved so far in in the studies that at least that I've read. Um, would you agree with that? Do you think? I mean, do you think that that measurement-based care has? Uh, I mean, it has potential. We know that. Do you think it has greater potential than we've seen? Well, I think you you hit on the major aspect of this, uh, that um, it's clear, and I think all of the guests, with some exceptions, uh, would agree with this, that it's really necessary to understand uh, uh, how therapy is working and to make adjustments to work better. Now, uh, uh, we know so many uh, therapists in practice don't use measurement-based care. And there's some structural reasons for that, but I think we need to do a better job of disseminating systems that actually work for the therapist. They're not burdensome, uh, they're easy to implement, and they provide really important, actionable information. I mean, John, John Norcross, who's that's, you know, measurement-based care is not his primary interest, but in his private practice, he says with, with some exceptions, he uses this with every patient because it's really helpful um, to improving quality, just as you said. So that's part of it. The second part is even in those agencies that use measurement-based care, it's often implemented in ways that don't, well, let's put it this way, that aren't optimally effective. It really, uh, the climate of the agency, the way in which the systems are used are absolutely critical. So uh, uh, there's a lot of aspects to this, but if I were asked what's the, one most important, easily, more easily implemented aspect of care, measurement-based care would be that. You know, Bruce, one thing you didn't mention in the measurement-based care protocol uh, is the fact that we also uh, monitor for side effects, adherence and compliance. And, you know, so many, uh, you know, 40% or more of patients and therapists are seeing 
are on medications. They don't see the, the PCP is doing 80% of the prescribing. They don't see the PCP very often. Uh, this is very, very valuable information that is really integrated care that can be shared with the, with the, uh, with the PCP. Uh, and I think another beneficial uh, aspect, I think measurement-based care really fits very well with uh, the integrated care paradigm. Uh, and I think that's going to have, and I think one of the drivers of measurement-based care going forward is the fact that payment systems are going to uh, integrate that. Already there are some codes now for, but not for psych psychologists, but there are remote uh, therapeutic monitoring codes which allow for monitoring for, uh, for adherence and for treatment. Uh, and I think this is a coming thing. So I think this is going to be part of the driver, but there still has been a lack of um, traction, I think, with cl clinicians. We, we have to do a better job with that. Yeah. Well, you brought up this idea of integrative care, and I think that's uh, Ed Jones' uh, um, discussion was centered on that. But th this idea of um, uh, monitoring not only uh, the psychological side of this, but uh, the medication side as well, with split care or integrated care, absolutely critical. I mean, we know that most people on psychotropic medications rarely see the prescriber. So it's really important that that information be available uh, to the prescriber. Is the patient... Uh, taking their medication, and are there side effects that are uh, interfering with uh, uh, functioning? And those two things are absolutely critical. I think that what's important is that as uh, measurement-based care becomes more, uh, um, I don't know, mandated, but incentivized in different uh, um, systems of care, that we really do it right and we use this information uh, to make therapy better. Yeah, and uh, Bruce, to pick up on uh, do it right, um, you know, I was interested in outcomes 30 years ago and thought it was the answer. But I also realized that there was no practical way to collect data from clinicians. And it's only been with the internet and it's only been with the uh, with the ubiquity of smartphones that you can automate measurement based care because frankly clinicians are going to uh, it's empty compliance is what you get for the most part they just say, here's a piece of paper please fill it out you go to you go to the PCP they give you the PHQ9 you know you you answer it but it's it's not meaningful it's not and it has to be meaningful it has to be integrated and uh so anyway, I think that's a, a, a the, the practicality, the implement the implementability of a system so that it's a no-brainer and does not require a burden on the clinician or burden on the patient is absolutely critical. As a matter of fact, I would almost say that the technology is uh, was behind that the science of outcomes was ahead of the technology. The technology has only caught up and now that makes it really uh, implementable. And that's yeah. a game changer. Absolutely. I mean, we're old enough to remember when you've got a paper and pencil form uh, uh, that you filled out before the session and after the session, and that information was only available to the therapist and to the patient uh, sometime in the future. Now, in the system we've set up and many other systems, the, the, this is done on your smartphone. You get prompts during the week. So it's not just uh, during the session uh, proximity that you fill these out. Much better information uh, than you had before. But the, the, the critical part is this integration, that it's, it's part of therapy to uh, uh, look at this information, uh, examine what the implications are for treatment, to know whether uh, we're making adequate progress or not, whether the relationship and the belief in the treatment is adequate, 
I mean, it's it's just uh, um, uh, quite uh, amazing that, that we can do therapy without this information. And people who have grown up doing it and learned it when they were uh, in their training and have done it their entire careers couldn't imagine doing therapy without it. Now, we got to keep in mind it's one source of information. Interaction with the patient, of course, is important. But where there's discrepancies between uh, your uh, perception of how things are going and what the patient reports on the measurement-based care instruments is really important to understand. You know, the other thing that was apparent in the discussions, uh, which is related to this, is the focus on therapist and therapist improvement. You know, uh, we have so many discussions. I go to conferences. More and more, people are talking about precision mental health. And we match the patient to the best kind of treatment, whether it's psychotherapy or some digital solution. Uh, and you know, the evidence is pretty clear. That only gives maybe at best a marginal advantage. Um, the matching is, is kind of uh, silly in a sense because often access is a problem. You don't have that many choices of therapists to choose from. So what's really critical and was mentioned by uh, of several of the, the interviewees is this idea that every therapist uh, should be working to improve their outcomes. It's a craft. It's an incredibly complex craft. Um, but with the feedback from measurement-based care and uh, other efforts, therapists can improve. So when we think about... Uh, you know, Scott Miller, um, Robbie Babbins, Wagner, Helena Nissen-Lee on professional self-doubt, uh, Catherine Eubanks talking about alliance and alliance rupture. The focus of all these discussions were on how therapists can actually improve their outcomes. So comments from you guys about precision mental health uh, care and about uh, well, the term support. itself. I mean, precision mental health. I mean, what what is mental health uh, treatment? But precise. Every individual is different. I mean, they talk about precision medicine, and I understand that they're using averages. But uh, it, it, I mean, it, by definition, psychology is precision. It seems to me. Um, just just a comment. Well, I agree with you. We've been saying this from the beginning, everyone's case uh, conceptualization uh, is different from everybody else's. How you came to be distressed and how that distress is maintained is different for every person. And getting to know the person more than the disorder has always been a priority of psychotherapy. So, uh, but I think it's taken to a new level, Jeff, from this idea that somehow we can measure something about the patient before therapy and match them with the, um, uh, the most appropriate treatment in, given in a certain way. I do, you think think this marketing, is, do you think marketing and, and uh, managed care uh, companies, uh, I mean, the, the, the managed care companies who are the uh, behavioral health companies, uh, big ones, the, the unicorns, uh, some of them uh, on their websites talk about uh, their matching algorithms and the, the, and the fact that they're able to better provide better treatment because of their ma matching algorithms. Typically on these sites, there's no data uh, about the matching algorithms. Um, how sanguine are you, are you about uh, matching well, algorithms? Well, again, Let's suppose that uh, matching uh, is something that's worth pursuing. Ideally, 
something about your personality, your desire for therapy, your cultural and and uh, uh, religious and spiritual practices indicate that there are some therapists that might do uh, uh, might be a better fit for you than others. Well, that's an ideal world. We have an access problem. We we don't have enough therapists as it is. I don't see how you can say to a patient, we're going to get you the best match when there's only three therapists that have openings uh, in your entire network. So we can't optimally match you. You'll be lucky if we can find somebody for you that you can see in the uh, near future. Better to say, we want the therapists in the network all to improve so that every patient's going to have a better outcome than they would have had otherwise. To me, putting the focus on, on therapists and the therapist uh, skill and, and, and development is a much richer source of improvement than it is to try to uh, uh, use this matching algorithm. And it really converges with this idea of measurement-based care because you need some data on, on um, your outcomes in order to understand how you might improve. One thing I like about the management care uh, approach is that it puts, puts the trust in the therapist. It doesn't try and prescribe to the therapist some new way of approaching patients or some new set of interventions. It gives them more information and relies on their judgment, their understanding of the patient, their understanding of themselves to use that information. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we have to take the information from measurement-based care and use it for this particular case using our clinical judgment. It doesn't take away from the importance of uh, clinical expertise in any way. It only provides additional information. So, Jeff, um, you asked a question, and I had something in mind I, I forgot, and that is, in a lot of contexts where measurement-based care is part of uh, systems of care or agencies, a lot of the therapists don't ever open the graphs. So they never look at this information. And to me, that's a indication that implementation, uh, understanding of how measurement-based care might be useful has been insufficient. So uh, um, Jamie and Michael talked a lot about implementation and the importance of getting therapists to um, really understand how important this information can be in treatment. I'd like to chime in a little bit. You know, we CarePass recently released a measurement-based care tool um in 2022 about third quarter of 2022 so our initial group of providers who have been using it have started to give us feedback and we've been able to understand you know how well their patients are complying with it and how well their staff are complying with it and what we're finding is that it's really surprising that the the number of uh clients of theirs their patients that continue to do and complete the assessments beyond three weeks of treatment um and that continue beyond six weeks of treatment. So the um, we're finding that the the staff is are finding it useful as well. Um, they continue to have more patients participate in the in the assessments. So um, you know, even though we're not getting deep into their cases, we are hearing positive feedback. Yeah, and Barrett, you bring up a really important point, and that is, it's not just the therapist who are interested in this information, but the patients benefit from seeing their progress. I mean, we've all worked with patients who come and say, you know, 
oh, I'm just not making progress. And then you look at your graphs and when you discuss it with them, they see that they have made demonstrable progress. And that demonstration of the progress is just uh, really clarifying about how their hard work in therapy has uh, um, resulted in better outcomes. And of course, it works the other way around as well. So the, the, the information from these graphs is really important. And I'm happy to hear that, that the use of the system we all designed is catching on with the network. One of the other issues that uh, I found really interesting was this idea of to be an effective therapist, you really have to be um, skilled, aware, and involved in understanding context and culture. Um, Jesse Owen talked uh, directly about culture, but uh, one of our more popular episodes was George Silbershans, who talked about uh, context for every patient, whether they're kind of a, a member of the mainstream uh, cultural uh, um, uh, aspects of society or not. That context is really important. And context has to do with uh, um, uh, of course, culture and race and ethnicity, religion and spirituality, but also just the manner in which you were brought up, your family attachments, um, uh, the context in which you live, uh, what you read and, and what you think about are all critical to designing optimal treatments for patients. Bruce, I have a, um, I think, a neat example of that. Uh, I was talking to, to Maureen last night about this. She worked for 13 years at Meharry Medical School, which is a black medical school. She was a psychologist there, and she worked with, uh, uh, and why don't you tell the story about how the people interacted? Oh, uh, well, I think there was much more a sense of community in that organization and that staff than I've ever seen anywhere else that I work. And they treated the, the patients as community members. And uh, it wasn't unusual to see therapists who weren't assigned to a patient stopped and talked to anybody they knew in the hallway. It was, it was like a community gathering. Uh, and um, I think the, the patients uh, really felt comfortable there. Uh, they kind of trusted the institution. Using Betty, when they used the Betty. Okay, go, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know what I said last night, but he wants me to talk about it. It was anyway, here's the, the gist of it is that the patient was very, uh, the, the doctor was very familiar with the patient. Uh, uh, oh, I know what you yeah. mean, yes. Um, uh, there was a, a, a therapist who was calling up uh, a patient. And she called her up and said, hello, Mrs. Smith, this is Betty. She, she kind of humbled herself in, in, in front of the person she was serving. And, and it was kind of a, a at first it jar, I was jarred by it because it sounded too familiar or too, uh, I'm Dr. Hart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Down there, I'm up here. But uh, they just well, there's other people in the community who needed something and they were going to help them. They were neighbors. Yeah. I, I think this is so important. Um, we talk about the alliance between a patient and a therapist. But, you know, there's a very important alliance between the patient and the system of care. Are they treated with respect at the reception desk in telephone calls? Is there uh, respect for their suffering and their efforts to improve recognized and valued? So important. In fact, uh, uh, Christoph Lukacher and I just wrote an article about the Alliance 
And we have an entire section about alliance with systems of care. And we forget that uh, patients are uh, not just interacting with us as therapists, but with uh, other personnel, uh, with the, the physical layout. Is this a place that's welcoming and attractive? Um, is is so there a important. culture of humility? I mean, so frequently there's this implicit authoritarianism. You know, well, Bruce Wampold, you're the you're the top of the heap. You know, yeah. you're the professor. The patient's the bottom of the heap. The trainee's in the middle of the heap. The therapist is kind of three quarters up there. And I think that implicit uh, authoritarian, everybody, people, patients have a lot of skills. They have a lot of intelligence. They have brilliance, much more than I do. In, in in many areas, and and the messiness of life, the fact that that um, this egalitarian notion, it seems to me, is very important. And and I think that I've seen in in, in the therapy world a little bit of this uh, kind of um, an arrogance. Uh, and it's not, and that, I like that hum, uh, the, the humanistic element in your informs your thinking, Bruce. It informs, even though you're a scientist, it informs your thinking. And that, that makes it really, I think, uh, relatable. Well, Jeff, um, uh, it, it's interesting because, you know, we have this evidence-based treatment kind of uh, movement. You know, everything in our society now is evidence-based treatment. But even in uh, uh, the most... Uh, um, well-defined protocols has to be given with this humanistic attitude. These are people struggling in life. I mean, I'm in awe of patients and what they've survived in their lives and are making an effort to get better. And we have to honor that, regardless if you're the most strict cognitive behavioral therapist we have to remember that aspect of care. You know, I, I'm working with Jerome Frank's daughter to revise persuasion and healing and to reread Jerome Frank's uh, observations about treatment. I mean, he was psychiatrist uh, uh, trained in, in science, but he saw through to what the core importance of what we do and we can't forget that. And this is also what bothers me a little bit about the precision mental health. We're making it a, an algorithm rather than a humanistic practice. We're forgetting what we're, we're forgetting uh, what Jerome Frank taught. Uh, there's an erosion now. Man, uh, the the uh, the digitization the. Uh, the uh, celebration of digital solutions um, and without the, you know, uh, and the, the sidelining of the, uh, of the human uh, in, in psychotherapy, I think is a, uh, is a wrong turn. I think a lot of these digital applications, I mean, the way I see a digital application, it, it's a uh, relationship with another human being should be an either relationship. It should be a one-to-one -one relationship seems to me a relationship with a, a robot or a, a, a machine is an I-it relationship. Yeah. There's no person there. And I think that people have interpersonal problems. They don't have problems with, uh, and I don't think that using uh, that kind of an I-it approach is ultimately uh, what is curative. I mean, I think that's a cliche, but there it yeah. is. Well, it's an interesting idea. We should talk a little bit about I mean, we talked to Don Norcross about this in, in the interview about digital solutions, as well as some of the others. But, you know, he's an expert on the efficacy of self-help support groups and so forth. And there are people who do change for the positive ways in their life through uh, reading books or digital apps and more power to them. I think there's lots of ways we change. But as you say, many people, the whole uh, uh, core of their difficulties 
is relating to other human beings. And psychotherapy is so powerful in that way. And it's everything has become depersonalized in our world in, in multiple ways. Psychotherapy has a very personal change through that relationship. And we have to continue to value that. That's interesting, Bruce. So, you know, as you mentioned, there are societal changes that's happening, but for therapy, it's the humanistic aspect of it that's going to continue to make it work regardless of what, what happens. Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a rare opportunity, isn't it? To talk to another human being who's, who has the training and skill to help you, but is willing to meet you as another human being and use that expertise to help you overcome difficulties. What a privilege that is. What are other things? I'm trying to look at my notes here uh, uh, of things that I took away from our uh, discussions with various experts. It was a real uh, honor for me to have the opportunity, and I thank you guys for sponsoring this to talk to uh, it was a very good, I think, uh, look at the lay of the land, the state of play, what, what's going on, what's, uh, what's innovative. And, um, well, for me, it was quite illuminating because I don't read the literature very much anymore. Well, it was interesting, and partly this is due to the uh, people we picked to, to be in the first season, but there was very little discussion about which treatment is the best, okay? The focus was on other ways that we might improve uh, the quality of care other than you should do it uh, in the way that I see best. Probably Jonathan Shedler would be one who, who clearly uh, made the case that uh, long-term therapy was needed to uh, achieve uh, desired outcomes, which is debatable. And uh, certainly from the comments that uh, we've received, it is debatable. But for the most part, the focus was on aspects of care other than the treatment being delivered. And I found that refreshing. Well, for the listeners, um, we really would like to hear from you about topics and people you would like to uh, hear from in season two. So as we go to the planning stage of doing the next season, let us know um, uh, what you would like to hear us discuss and who you would like to hear from. So are there other comments we should make before we uh, wind up season one? Well, I, I, it was a great privilege for us to work with you on this um, and, um, and to help us with the uh, measurement-based care algorithm. And um, uh, it's very exciting, I think, what we're embarked on. And I think it had a real opportunity to make a difference in the field. So for me, speaking personally, it was an absolute delight. And I'd like to second that. Uh, I kind of regret that I'm not doing therapy anymore when I hear so many good ideas and think of what it would have been like had I had a measurement-based care system to give me that kind of feedback. Um, 
It looks very attractive. Yeah, it's interesting, Maureen. Uh, uh, in some ways, we've made a lot of progress from when we first entered the field. And in other ways, uh, we're doing things pretty much the same. I think that's one um, uh, topic we should do is, are we making progress? And are we improving as a field? Would be fascinating to do. I, I encourage everyone to go to Making Therapy Better uh, page and find out what we're up to. Uh, and there's links to useful information and uh, description of our efforts. I encourage our listeners to subscribe if you can, so you can hear about our new episodes when they're released in the, the new upcoming season. Thank you, Bruce. Well, thank you all for the opportunity. Been great. Terrific. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening. That's all for the first season of Making Therapy Better. If you haven't already heard them, there are 11 previous episodes to check out. And if you find them interesting, whatever platform you're using, please subscribe, leave a review, or share them with your network. Stay tuned for the second season later this year, and reach out to us on social media to let us know who you'd like to see interviewed and what topics you'd like to hear discussed. Links are in the show notes and video description. Making Therapy Better is brought to you by CarePaths. CarePaths offers a complete behavioral health EHR and practice management software solution, including claims, billing, clinical notes and documents, scheduling, and teletherapy, all for one simple and affordable monthly price. CarePaths EHR is HIPAA compliant and ONC certified, and can also support electronic prescribing for an additional fee. Their latest release, CarePaths Connect, includes automated measurement-based care and the ability to create a digital front door for your practice, as well as a free mobile app designed to increase patient engagement. If you're just starting your practice or are dissatisfied with your current EHR, go to carepaths.com to start your free trial today. To find out more about Bruce Wampold and his work as CarePaths Chief Clinical Officer, visit makingtherapybetter.com.